welcome to the Guitar Omni Podcast. I'm Carl Woolwind of Columbus Classical Guitar. Each episode, we'll chat with a featured guest from the classical guitar world. Candid conversations, unique experiences, and career observations from the people who best know the guitar. This is your master class in life and the guitar. For more information and past episodes, please visit columbusclassicalguitar.com or see Carl Woolwind Guitarist on Facebook. So our guest is Ron Pearl. Um, he, I just found out he retired from 25 years at, at Loyola University in Baltimore. Um, I, I know him from the Pearl Gray duo, guitar duo fame. And uh, how you doing, Ron? I'm doing well, Carl. Good to and, see you. And good hear to see you, you too. And, and you're coming to us from, from Providence, Rhode Island, I just, I just learned, which is, yep. is fantastic. You just retired and, and you made your move. I'm living in New England now after yeah, many, many, we, many years in Baltimore. Yeah, yeah, we were in, we were in Baltimore uh, for a for a long time, and it was a, <laughs> it was a great place. Uh, you know, I love the city. Um, uh, I don't know if it's sad to say or happy to say. I'm still a Ravens fan. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I'd say I'm an Orioles fan, but I don't know. That's just sad at this point. <laughs> you know, I mean, really, it's that's a that's not a happy place. Um, but, uh, no, it was great, but, but my wife and I were up for a, you know, we were up for a new adventure, um, when our son's in the Boston area, uh, we love New England, <clears throat> close to the water, um, uh, and I, I, I like the scale of things here, things are, yeah. things are really close together, I mean, they have to be, I mean, it's the smallest <laughs> state in the country, um, but there's a, yeah, there's a, there's a thing here, um, if it's more than 15 minutes away, you, you think twice about whether or not you want to go there <clears throat> and and if it's more than 20 minutes away well that's an outing right you know? right but of <laughs> so, course you, you have most everything you need within 15 or 20 minutes in, in that oh, kind of yeah no it's it's amazing um yeah. if, if i'm in the car more than 15 minutes i'm i'm starting to feel like <laughs> wow really <laughs> and you know in baltimore <clears throat> 15 minutes i hadn't even made it uh over to campus um <laughs> So yeah, every I I, I like the the scale of things. Uh, it's 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 great. Uh, the only downside to it was <clears throat> one of the things that I was looking forward to in retirement was <clears throat> getting back to doing a little bit more private teaching. Uh-huh. And you know, in Baltimore, I mean, I knew so many people, and I knew other teachers, and lots of you know, just sort of a network of saying, well, sure. you know, you you might might want to you know take lessons with this guy for a while. Um, now that I'm, you know, 400 miles away, that doesn't really work. Um, is there, and, is there a guitar and, scene in, in Providence itself? I mean, yeah, I know Boston there, is a, is yeah, a thing, but uh, there is, yeah, there, there is, there's a, a group called the Rhode Island, uh, guitar guild and, you know, like a lot of, uh, guitar organizations, like any concert organization, <clears throat> they're, they're trying to figure out how they're going to do concerts sure. and how they're going to, you know. Are we going to have them? Are they going to be virtual? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> they have a season coming up, but I haven't um, I haven't checked recently to see what what all's going to happen. Right. Uh, with their so at least there's a, but, there's a scene there at least so you know. Yeah. But, yeah. 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 There is. There is yeah. So and you 
you were in Baltimore. I you were you went to Peabody during the seventies, right? And studied nuclear engineering. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, actually, okay. very very early eighties. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, you know, in 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 my mind, you know, that that time at Peabody, that legendary time when everybody was there. You know, I just I they, they have it you know categorized as Peabody in the seventies. You know. <laughs> yeah, I I I got there actually right on the right on the tail end of things. Uh, in that uh, we got to Baltimore, uh, I started teaching at a at a uh, university there, you know, part time, and I was taking lessons with with Aaron Shearer privately. Uh, mm -hmm. I thought I'd study okay. with him <clears throat> before I, you know, applied for Peabody, to Peabody, you know, to go on for the next degree. Um, and so then I, you know, I got into Peabody. I studied with him for for another year there, and then <clears throat> that time, and it's a, it's this is a whole long other story. But for a number of reasons, Aaron then left Peabody and went to the North right. Carolina School for the Arts, I think right. now known as the University of North Carolina School for the Arts. Yes. Um, you know, I don't know how many words they can add on to that, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big name. Is the city name in there, too? <laughs> yeah. No, thankfully it isn't. Because the city is, is also hyphenated, so it's like, wow, that would be, that would, that would be a disaster. Uh, so, so Aaron... Uh, went down to uh, went down to North Carolina, so I finished at Peabody, and um, you know eventually you know got my degree there. Uh, I I would go down to North Carolina once a month and spend a weekend and and oh take lessons with Aaron. So wow. I worked with Aaron for about you know a total of three years, but but by the time I was there, uh, <clears throat> a lot of the the younger uh, students of Aaron's. They went with him to North Carolina. A lot of them followed okay. him. Right. Uh, a lot, a lot of the undergraduate guys and uh, some of the other, um, you know, better known names um, from Peabody. Um, you know, Manuel Barueco, of course, right, right. David Tannerbaum, David Starobin, uh, Julian Gray. They had all they had all finished in the in the seventies. Okay. So on the tail end of that. Yeah, I was on the tail end of that. Um, I did, uh, I do. So they're all older than you. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> you know, as, as it turned out, you know, I, I finished, I, you know, we're all pretty much the same age. Yeah. I finished my undergraduate, um, uh, study at the San Francisco Conservatory. Oh, okay. Who did you study with there? Uh, I studied with, uh, with George Sacalario. I studied with oh, Phil yeah. Rossiger, uh, and Michael oh. Lorimer. Um, oh, fantastic. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I had a chance to work with all three, um, uh, it was a great. It was a great place. Uh, yeah, great, great, great school it was a good place for me at the time. Yeah. Uh, I, I learned a lot. It was a, it was a really wonderful environment. And then after <clears throat> after I finished there, I, I stayed in San Francisco for another year. You know, teaching. You know, doing the odd, you know, performance here or there. You know, starting to figure out. And then I also applied <clears throat> to go to Santiago de Compostela. Oh, okay. uh, in, in in Spain, my my. My larger goal was to go and work with Jose Tomas. Okay. Uh, when I was a student in San Francisco, um, Jose Tomas came to San Francisco for a week and gave this <clears throat> a week long master class. Yeah. And a concert, and it was just it was just a revelation. He was. Yeah. Just, I mean, whether you were playing for him or you were watching the lessons, there were just these moments of just like, oh, wow, yeah. that was just just incredible. So. I thought, okay, this is a guy, this is a guy I want to go and study with. Yeah. Now he wasn't teaching at Santiago de Compostela, but um, I decided I wanted to you know, spend some time there 
And <clears throat> this is this is sort of a funny story. Uh, <clears throat> at the time, I was working with Michael Larmer. And so the, the way you get into Santiago de Compostela, uh, there are no audition tapes. And, and you know, okay. and in those days, if you sent a tape, you were sending like a reel-to-reel. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm old. It wasn't a wax cylinder, but, but like, cas like cassette tapes were still not sure. quite, uh, uh, you know, they were kind of a new technology. Yeah. So the way you <clears throat> the way you got there was you um, you were accepted on the basis of letters of recommendation. Okay, sure. Now Michael <clears throat> was one of Segovia's proteges, and right. uh, you can find videos of him on YouTube in lessons with Segovia. Yeah. And so I thought <clears throat> I was I was over at at, at Michael's <laughs> house in Berkeley. You're in. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> you know, I thought, well, I mean, who better to ask? for a letter of recommendation. So, so he says to me, um, I, so I said, so, you know, could I get a letter of recommendation you know, to, to, to study at Santa de Compostela? And he said, yeah, you know, I, I, I could write a letter for you. And he's kind of thinking, and I'm thinking like, <laughs> yeah, or, and he says, but you know what would be better? He says, it'd be better if you had a letter from Segovia. Oh my God! <laughs> and you know, I'm thinking, of of back my, I'm thinking back in my mind. Well, yeah, sure. <laughs> I just kind of looked at him and I said, "And how would that happen?" And, and he said, "Well, you know, Sego you know, Segovia's coming to town in February. Um, I'll set it up so you can meet him." Amazing. And and you know, I mean. There's a part of my brain that's just, you know, you know, doing a doing a, a victory dance, and there's another part of my brain that is that's cowering in the corner because I mean, right. that, what? Terrified, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so Michael, he said, "Here's what I'm going to do." He said, "I'm going to write you a letter of introduction, and when you know when the time comes, when the weekend comes, Segovia's giving his concert in San Francisco." You're going to call this woman who's a good friend of his. She'll know what hotel he's at, where oh he's staying. Gosh. I mean, this it's is like starting to sound. I, I was going to say this is starting to sound like a spy novel. And and, and and do I do I go in the side entrance? I mean, what, <laughs> so so I had this letter, and it just sat, you know, you know, safely in a drawer uh, in my apartment for a couple of months, and then you know the weekend comes. Uh, I call her about um, you know a week in advance and she says oh yeah he's staying at the such and such hotel um, she said and I explained the situation she said yeah just just take the letter down uh, give it to them and they'll give it they'll give it to the maestro when he when wow. he arrives so <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> yeah so so but but there 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 are two more little aspects to the story um, that you as a guitarist especially will appreciate. Uh, and, any, and any guitarist listening to this, I think, will appreciate. So, <clears throat> so I take the letter down. Um, and, and she said, and then, you know, just call the hotel and speak to his, his touring manager. There's a, a guy named uh, Pedro, whose last name, uh, I, 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 I'm sorry, I can't remember. So I call him, <clears throat> and, and he, says, um, he says, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, no, Maestro got you a letter. He said, but the best thing is just call him yourself. <laughs> and oh again, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just going to be his phone number, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I'm just going to pick his phone. So, <clears throat> so I call him. And, you know, I call the hotel that connected to his room. Um, 
and I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do my Segovia imitation, um, but but he says you're yes. the only person that won't do the Segovia imitation. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you've had enough. Um, so he, um, you know, he just says, uh, yeah, Maestro got your letter. Uh, you know, yeah, or no, he says yes, I got your letter. Um, he, and and this was the thing. I mean, of of, of anything that I've remembered from from learning anything from anyone, he said. I can't see you today," he said. "I have a, I have to play a concert tomorrow night, and I need to practice." Oh my gosh! Okay, fantastic. <laughs> you know, and at this point, I mean, he's 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 like eighty. He's eighty-five. You know, right. at this point, you know, in his life. So uh, he said, "Can you come? You know, on Saturday at five o'clock?" And I said, <laughs> "You know, to get a lot of say." Um, hang on a moment. Let me see if I got anything <laughs> yeah. else. Let me check my schedule. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I can move some things around. Um, <laughs> absolutely. So, so I go to the hotel, and the way they work it is um, they call the room, and you go over to this bank of telephones. And then, you know, he gets on the phone and says, yes, come up to room such and such. They don't tell you what room is in. Right. So I'm, I'm listening on the phone, and the phone's ringing and ringing and ringing. And ringing, and I'm starting to think, oh, he forgot, you know, something else happened. And I think, okay, okay, all right. And then finally, he answers the phone, and it's this very quiet, low, hello. And I realized he'd been sleeping. Oh my god. He'd been napping. <laughs> <clears throat> so you know, I I I tell him who I am again, and. And, uh, you know, and I said, look, if this is not a good time, then he says, no, 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 it's, it's fine. It's fine. You know, he gives me the room number. I go up, he answers the door. He's in his pajamas and a bath. Oh, fantastic. Yes. Yes. Okay. You know, <laughs> um, it, 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 it's kind of like, you know, if, 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 you know, if, if, if you're, if, if you're of the Catholic faith, um, like running into the Pope, the Pope right. section, the supermarket, <laughs> You know, you know, the post is like you know, wearing wearing jeans and a and a and a and a, and a t-shirt that says "I'm with stupid" on it or something. You know, like just like how I like I can't I can't believe this is happening. So, you know, he invites me in. I play for him, um, and you know, he said, "Yeah, sure. You know, I'll I'll take your name down and I'll give it to the people when I get back to Madrid." And I'm thinking, I hope he remembers. Right. But I got the scholarship. <clears throat> I um, and when I got there, uh, I remember the, the woman who sort of ran things, you know, was telling us, oh, yeah, you know, Segovia came into the office and, you know, and he's pointing to this name, says, yes, this is a good boy. This is a good boy. <laughs> Don't take this one. Take this one. So, you know, true to his word. So amazing. Yeah. So do you remember so that, when you played for him? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I do. Uh, I, I played um, the, the D major Pasacalia by Vice. Okay. I had I wow. I just been doing a, a, a some concerts and the whole second half the whole first half was music by Vice, okay. so I played that for him and then I also played a, a piece by uh, Vicente Asensio, a okay. piece called Dipso. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is actually this is this is the guitar, the guitar moment. Um, <clears throat> the piece it, it's it's got lots of chords and lots of four five six note chords mm -hmm. in it. And Segovia says to me, he says, it's really nice. You're doing a very nice job with it, you know, very expressive, that, 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 that. But you shouldn't, you shouldn't roll 
all of the chords. Oh my! Yeah, <clears throat> and and <laughs> and yes, it, it's Segovia that's telling me I shouldn't roll. All, that, all, that, wow! All, 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 all the chords. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, all all respect to the maestro, but I mean, he never met an interval of a third that he didn't want to roll. Right. So he said, you, you know, play it again, but this time don't roll the chords. Amazing. And so on the spot, I'm playing this piece and I'm playing these six note chords and I'm just, yeah. you know, clawing at them with my right hand. And it just sounds awful. <laughs> I mean, it really sounds terrible, but, but I knew enough. I knew enough that when somebody, of his stature asks you to do something, oh, sure. you, you do it, right? You try it, yeah. Yeah. And so I get I'm, I get to the end of the piece, and you know, he's sitting right across from me. How and so I mean, I'm not looking at him, I'm just looking down. <laughs> and I look down, and, and he reaches over, and he taps my right hand, you know? Oh and I look up, and he says, well, sometimes it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and and I I think I think part of it was just a test, like you know, will will I will I listen to him? You know, and then, then sure. we, we yeah. chatted for a little bit. He told me about a, you know, there's a competition in Granada and this and that. And I mean, he was he was he was lovely. He was gracious, and so that's how I ended up going to Spain. You know, I, I was at Santiago de Compostela with Jose Luis, Jose Luis Rodrigo, who was delightful. Uh, and then there was a, a three-week master class with Tomas before that. And then I lived in Alicante for a couple of months working with Tomas. Uh, and then we have a whole long, long series of um, long list of, of reasons. I ended up leaving. So I was there for about six months. Okay. Uh, no, it was a great, it was a great experience. And it was, you know, it was the right time in my life to do that. Um, so that's partly, I mean, so that's a, this is a very long interval. And if you, if you want to just edit this whole thing out. You oh, no, this is great. This is, this is great. <laughs> but this is, this is partly why by the time, you know, that I got back to San Francisco and, then, you know, we were living there. Um, and then uh, my wife and I, uh, we weren't married at the time, but um, you know, that, was, that was in the offing. Um, she was offered a job at the University of Maryland, uh, and there were a lot of the okay. reasons that made, and we were living in San Francisco. Uh, so there were a lot of reasons why, you know, making this move would be good for us. Sure. But, so there were, there were a good three, four years in between my undergraduate and my graduate. Oh, okay. So that's what that, so, you know, I, I mean, yeah. I'd stayed in San Francisco, then I'd gone to Spain, then I was back in San Francisco for another year. So I guess three years. Um, <clears throat> and then I worked with Aaron for a year privately. So that's why yeah. by the time I finally was actually a student at Peabody. I was, I was a little bit older than, I mean, certainly older than the undergrads and even older than, right. than a lot of the master's of the grads, students. Yeah. yeah, the grad students, which I think actually was, was kind of good for me. Um, you know, Aaron and I had a, had a very, very good working relationship. I mean, I respected him. And because I would, you know, sort of like Segovia, um, you know, if he, he said, you know, you know, finger it this way or phrase it this way, sure. I would do it. And then right. <clears throat> if I disagreed with it, once I'd shown that like, I could do it that way, he was more than happy to listen to another way. Interesting. You yeah. know, huh. but, but part of it was just, um, you, know, they, you know, as Aaron said to me once, he said, you know, I've, been, I've been teaching, we were talking about some kind of level, he said, I've been teaching this piece for 40 years. You'd think, you'd think somebody would listen to something. I <laughs> 
that. Um, so, so yeah, so that's, that's, that was how I ended up, um, you know, that, that was the Peabody experience. And then, um, then I was just, you know, we were in Baltimore for, yeah. you know, a long time after that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, and it, it's, I, I guess, you know, it's it, what's it, one of the things that's interesting to me about this is you went to Maryland not to go to school at Peabody. It's, you know, they, you just happened no. to be there and it's like, well, Aaron Shears there, I might as well take lessons with him and it, uh, yeah. get a degree, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it was, it was a factor though. Yeah, it, sure. it was a factor. There was another school and uh, there was another school that my wife was offered a, a, a teaching position and, and not far from that school was another place where I could have done um, master's work. Um, I'm, I'm leaving them both, you know, nameless you sure. know because i don't well i mean i, I don't want to insult the person who is teaching at this other institution you know i mean no no disrespect you know to him um but <clears throat> yeah i mean i thought you know I, and i'd heard enough about you know aaron at that point so sure. i was i was curious and you know when i when i first started studying with him i didn't know that i was necessarily gonna you know go to peabody sure. but it was it was an enticing option. So that was yeah. one, it, that was a factor that, that right. led us to choose that location. What, what does your wife teach? Uh, she was in she theater. Uh, she, oh, fantastic. Yeah, 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 she was in theater. And then uh, in later years, I mean, she was, she was always on the theater faculty, but she also uh, became, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Alexander Technique. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, she's also an Alexander Technique teacher. Oh, great. Uh, and then fantastic. kind of moved over into that area uh, and applying that to theater yeah. yeah wonderful yeah great so yeah and you were you were telling me before we started recording um you you were teaching at, at Loyola and you just you just retired after yeah. after 25 years there yeah um was there a program there before you started teaching there or did you start that what how did how did that all happen for you well <clears throat> you know Loyola is a I mean when I started there um they were a fairly small undergraduate campus, I think. Okay. And I'm trying to remember. I think they might have had like 1,200 students. Okay. Uh, undergrad uh, at the time. I mean, they've um, they're they're almost three or four times the size of that now. I mean, they, they've yeah. they've just expanded, you know, greatly. So <clears throat> there was a music program within the fine arts department. Uh, so when I started teaching there, I was just, you know, I was, was teaching guitar. I was, I was, you know, anybody who was taking guitar lessons, I was, I was the guy sure. there. And then, um, uh, you know, a year or so later, somebody was going on sabbatical. So I, I took one of their classes. Uh, it was a theory class because I, I'd been teaching at a community college where I was teaching a lot of these different kinds of courses. Uh -huh. <clears throat> so over the course of a couple of years, I taught a 20th century uh, lit course. Um, I was coaching the chamber ensemble. I was teaching ear training. I taught theory. I taught fundamentals. So <clears throat> a position came along for somebody to teach, you know, both music history and, and music theory. Sure. Uh, you know, for, uh, you know, a Bachelor of Arts undergraduate. Right. right. Okay. We're not talking uh, conservatory uh, level kind of kind of stuff. Graduate research, um, one night. right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I applied because I had a, a lot of experience doing that. Um, they hired me, so that was my full time position. Um, you know, I kept up with the guitar 
studies and guitar yeah. ensemble. But um, I could have stopped doing that and still had my job. The, the guitar oh, component right, right. was not actually a factor um, in my um, on my faculty line. You know, sure, sure, so sure. so I was you know I I was a you know full time faculty member you know teaching teaching classes teaching courses. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you know, I had guitar students um, and uh, they were they were great, uh, but they weren't always. Um, rarely was somebody interested in being a, mu a full time, full on music major. Right. I mean, I did have some, but uh, I mean, when you're in the same town with Peabody, that was, I mean, right. literally on the same street. Like, oh my gosh. Like, like, yeah, I mean, you know, North Charles, which is one of the yeah. borders, you know, the yeah. borders Peabody, it also borders Loyola, okay? Oh, my gosh. So <laughs> you go down the road three miles, and you have one of the great guitar departments, you know, in the country, yeah. if, not, yeah. if, not, if not the world. Um, and then if you go north, you have Towson, which is a large public university that also had yeah. a very good guitar program. So <clears throat> the, the coming out of high school... Uh, conservatory bound, I want to be a professional guitar student. Yeah. Um, Loyola often wasn't going to be their, their first or second sure. choice. Um, and, you know, a lot of times, I, you know, we would teach at, uh, you know, the, you know, very summer festivals and things like that. And, you know, a lot of times students will go to these uh, festivals because they're kind of looking for their next school, right? You know, and in yeah. one in one location, you've got people who teach at, um, you know, Florida State, or right. at at Eastman, or you know, sure. at, you know, all you know, NEC, or all all you know, all, the, all these different you know, USC big schools. Uh, <clears throat> and so, you know, here I am, you know, from Loyola College, <laughs> and when someone says, "So, you know, if I come to Loyola," Um, you know, what else do I have to do in addition to studying yeah. music? And you know, to be honest with you, you know, what well, you're going to have to take courses in, in English and philosophy and you know, social science and math. And, and, you know, before I finish the list, I can see they're kind of looking over my shoulder. Right, they're saying, over. I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to go talk to that guy, you know. Um, and, and, you know, I was, I was, you know, obviously I was never trying to talk anybody out of coming to Loyola. Sure. I would have, you know, loved to have, you know, uh, those students. But at the same time, um, I think it's a, it, I, I always felt, and I, I still do, if somebody's thinking about doing this, you know, as a career, you're better off starting in the more intensive environment because yeah. if if you if you don't like that environment you're not going to like the training yeah. it's going to take yeah. but you know if you're if you're a music major and you're on a college campus and there's all this other stuff you can get a little bit of an um not an artificial view of what the, what the um, you know music world is but you can be a fairly large fish in in mm -hmm. fairly small ponds yeah. And, you know, it's, it, I think it's better, you know, for you to find out, you know, is the, is the, you know, many hours a day of practice and then studying music and then listening and then playing in ensembles, you know, is that the kind of life you want to have? I mean, if, if you don't enjoy that stuff, you're going to be miserable. Right. Yeah. 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 
you know, and, and it doesn't get any better. And it it's doesn't not get for better. everybody. <laughs> and it doesn't get any better when you become a professional musician because no. you're still doing exactly the same thing. Yeah. Right. So I always <laughs> felt I always felt it would be, you know, that it's better for someone to start that way and say, eh, this life isn't for me. Yeah. Then, and because you're rarely going to have somebody say, "Yeah, I really like this, but boy, I want to have this much, much more intensive." Uh, right. Particularly when you have a university, you know, or college, or and then Loyola became a university after dinner two years, um, where there's so many other things to get involved right. in. There's so many, I mean, re- I mean, really wonderful things. Um, so in in that so in that way. Um, I, I, I would say I didn't have the most highly developed students, but I always had really interesting students. Interesting, sure. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and so you know, I, yeah, I, lo- I loved I loved teaching there, and yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, lo- I love teaching you know, music theory, uh, love teaching history. Um, <laughs> I still have this, as it turns out. But but one year in my theory class, um, it, we were, we were talking about the two chord, the supertonic. Yeah. You know, and I said, you know, the supertonic has one has has one you know, has, has one um, role in life, has one function, and that's to get you to the dominant, you know? And, 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 so, and, and someone says, yeah, supertonic just doesn't get much respect. And I said, well, I think we need to respect supertonic. So for the rest of the semester, anytime we got to the supertonic chord, somebody in the class would say, respect, dude, respect. So I, I told that story to another section a couple of years later, and the students in the class had t-shirt printed up with a little Roman numeral two on it nice. underneath it says respect the supertonic, you know, music at Loyola. It was great. It was great. I, I wear I wear that I wear that shirt to the gym. And you need a and, cape, you know, supertonic. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. It's like, it's like a superhero. <laughs> I, 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 I wear that t-shirt to the gym sometimes and people look at it and and, and I can see they're looking at me like should what I be afraid of this guy? Or are you like, what? What does this mean? I mean is, is this is this some code that, that I should know about? I'm gonna have to Google this when I get home. Oh, that's you know? fantastic. Yeah, yeah. No, but it was but it was great. It was a, a I I love teaching there. Um, yeah. I'm I'm glad to be retired. Sure. I mean, it was. Um, it's it's, it's work. Good, it, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, and um, and and I'm and I'm very fortunate that I can be retired. Yeah. I, that's. You know, not everybody has all all those kinds of options, and and I'm I'm acutely aware of that. But um, given that the like the last um, well, you know, 15, 18 years, you know, my creative work is focused more on composition. Yeah, uh, this is you know, being retired is great. It gives me gives me time to do that, and that's that's been that's just been a real blessing. Yeah. Have, have you been composing throughout your entire career, or is this something that you just decided no. to put more energy into recently? Or yeah, the, it's it's it's, it's it's the latter. Um, when I when I originally wanted to study music, um, boy, this was an arbitrary thing. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I was about ten years old, and I started taking guitar lessons, and I I went through I don't know like six or seven of the Mel Bay books. I mean, we, yeah. I went really far up that ladder. I didn't know that my, that my teacher was actually a jazz guitarist. Okay. So I was doing everything with a pick. Um, so by the time... Where was this? This was in New Haven, Connecticut. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm originally from Seattle, but, you know, family in Connecticut. You've been all over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so 
when we moved back to Seattle, I had a really good knowledge of the fingerboard. I could read really well. I could play you just about any chord in just about any position. Yeah. Um, and how old were you? I was, well, at the time I was 13. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you know, chord solos, chord solos. Yeah, are, uh -huh, you know? Sure. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, you know, I could, I could pick up a, you know, like a lead sheet and I could, I could do that sort of stuff. At 13, uh, that's great. At 13. <clears throat> and my teacher, when we left, he said, you know, you might be interested in classical guitar. So I took classical lessons for What's about. that? <laughs> yeah. I, well, I took them, I took them for about four months at a local music store. And the guy, you know, he didn't, he didn't say anything about my right hand, didn't say anything about my left hand. He just, all he cared about was if I played rhythmically correctly. Wow. He would, he would tap, he would tap time on the music stand with a baton. And you know, huh. at age, even at the age of 14, I could realize, I, I realized, oh, this is total waste of time. So, <laughs> so I just became, um, you know, I, I, I started playing acoustic guitar and, and all other, you know, kinds of things. And then when I was, um, just before going into my senior year of high school, I was on a very, very long bicycle trip, um, six weeks on a bike. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Don't ever do that. If anybody, <laughs> anybody says this is a good idea, tell them, no, it's not. <laughs> so, but, but on that, on that trip, I remember thinking to myself, and you know, you know how how we we go through life, and you know we can look back on things that we did that were really stupid, and you know mistakes we made and whatnot. But there are also a I, I have no idea what you're talking yeah. about. I've never <laughs> right. done anything well, stupid never in my to me. life. <laughs> right. But at the same token, you know there there are a couple of there are a couple of things, you know, a couple of decisions, you know, that you make that that you look yeah. back on and you say like that was a really wise choice. I mean, like one of them was you know to get married, you know, to my wife. Um, that was a that was a great choice um, for me. Hopefully, she feels the same way. You know, you can interview <laughs> her later. Uh, <clears throat> but I remember, but I remember thinking to myself, you know, there's got to be there's got to be some reason people keep listening to classical music. Right. I mean, why are people listening to music by people who've been dead, you know, for you know hundreds of years? So when I got home, I started going to the library. I picked, I got books. I started taking out. You records. had that realization when you were on your bike trip. Yeah. Yeah. Well, being being oh. on a bicycle and having access to no music, yeah. you know, and and yeah, you, time your to brain think does that to you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. And I don't know why, you know, why that little epiphany came to me. Huh. But amazing. <clears throat> all of a sudden, wow, this stuff is great. And I had this very I mean, you know, my the playlist was eclectic. I mean, one week I'm I'm bringing home LPs of Dvorak the next week. You know, how, how did you even know what to look for? Where, I did just you didn't, I okay. didn't. You were just throwing yourself in there I, and grabbing. Exactly. Oh, I haven't heard this yet. <laughs> and you know, and I'm re and I'm reading liner notes. Um, there may be some listeners of 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 this this conversation who won't know what liner notes are <laughs> if they've never actually seen an LP. <laughs> Back in the day. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, so I'm just reading and I'm listening, and then I realized, you know. I could probably play some classical music because I've got a few books that I hadn't really looked at. Right. Um, so the first two classical pieces I learned was the the Bach D minor prelude, right? Okay. Every place, and Capriccio Arabe. Right. Yeah. Had you guess, heard them before, or did you just they no. were they were in a book that you had? <clears throat> they were hey, in a look book. at this. Yeah. They were in a book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. And uh, yeah, so I guess I guess I was drawn to the key of D minor. <laughs> I guess if nothing else, um, <clears throat> and so. You know, I, it's the saddest of all keys I've heard. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, the, the funny thing is I wasn't intimidated by tuning the sixth string down to D, at least. I, sure. I, I, yeah, well, that wasn't a problem. Um, and then, you know, I, I tried to find a, a teacher in Seattle, and, and eventually I was able to. But what I was really interested in was, was composing. I, that's, yeah. that's what really was, was, I was most fascinated with. <clears throat> the University of Washington, which is, you know, the local, um, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the analogy would be um, the Ohio State University. Maybe mm -hmm. you've heard of it. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> big, huge local uh, university had a great music program, but you couldn't be a music major there if you didn't play an instrument that they offered and they didn't offer okay. the call. Right, right. So <clears throat> I couldn't study composition there, but I was, um, you know, all of my goals were, were changing very rapidly. So I decided to go to the University of Washington for a year, take as many music classes as I could. I found a teacher who was very encouraging. He said, you know, maybe you should think about studying guitar. So <clears throat> when I went to the San Francisco Conservatory of Music, uh, I went there as a performance major, and I thought that I would also study um, composition, like maybe minor. In composition um, and at the time uh, the main uh, composition teacher was John Adams oh wow yeah <clears throat> but he wasn't he wasn't John Adams as we know him today okay. um, this was John Adams in um, sort of a much more avant-garde um, yeah. pose um, he I remember one piece of his uh, and and, and let, let me just preface this by saying, I like a lot of John Adams' music. I mean, I shouldn't oh, say I like a lot of it. I mean, I like John Adams, and there's some pieces of his that I really, really like. Um, he's a terrific guy. I played in the New Music Ensemble, you know, whenever they needed a guitar. And, yeah. and he was just very nice, very kind. But the music that he was writing, <clears throat> we were talking about, like, sending feedback noises through synthesizers. Yeah. And this would go on for 40 minutes. Right. Um, you, know, um, you know, fair some fairly theatrical stuff. So you know, very, very sort of you know noise oriented and, and confrontational kinds of things. Right. And I, I just thought, well, huh, this you know I'm not you know I'm I, and I was such a beginner. I thought, okay, this is not a, a fit. And so as I got more and more involved in the world of playing, you know, studying mm -hmm. guitar and playing the guitar, teaching the guitar, that kind of became my focus. So. <clears throat> this is a very, very long answer to was I always composing? And the answer was, you know, maybe a little bit in my head. Sure. But, um, it was you know, always on a shelf back there. Yeah. And, yeah. <clears throat> you know, part of the problem um, or part of the challenge for me was keeping up with practicing, having a family, you know, raising a kid, um, teaching. You have to sleep sometimes. You yeah, have to you got to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, um, you know, Julian, Gray and I, you know, had the duo. So there was practicing, there was rehearsing, there was giving concerts, then there was recording. Um, you know, and, and, and all the while, you know, you're trying to find some kind of work life balance. Right. And, you know, I, I just wasn't, I, I, I don't think I had the brain space. I, you know, there wasn't enough. Sense, yeah. There wasn't enough on the hard drive uh, to do that. So <laughs> once um, once performance started to to really scale back, um, you know, I had been arranging a lot of music for um, uh, uh, an amateur guitar ensemble, kind of a guitar okay. orchestra that I ran in yeah. Baltimore, um, and I started thinking, huh, 
You know, this you is did a lot of arranging for the duo too, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, we 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 did that. That was that that was a joint undertaking. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, okay. one of us um, we would say, okay, well, you know, you write it out, but then we would sit there and and say, okay, well, how about if we revoice it? You take the B flat and I take the C sharp, yeah. and and um, <laughs> there we're back to D minor again. Collaborative uh, arranging. That's that that sounds great. That yeah, but, but yeah, that's 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 how that's how that's how we did it, um, yeah. and. Uh, so, you know, but I was, I was arranging, you know, music for the, these large ensembles and then, you know, I started, you know, sketching some things out and like, yeah, that, that, that idea of being, of composing that had been sort of in the back of my mind, uh, for a long time, you know, started to assert itself. Uh, so I, I started, I started composing, um, really, you know, in earnest and, okay. you know, the when, first, when was this, uh, I started, you know, really doing it kind of seriously around 2002, so about 20 okay. years ago. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> the first piece of mine, the early, I should say, the earliest piece of mine that got performance and traction um, was a guitar quartet that I wrote, uh, that I composed in 2005. Uh, and it has, <laughs> it has the imaginative title of C. I mean the letter C. The letter C. The letter C. It cap it's capitalized, if that helps. Uh, and the reason behind it was, um, it was it was very minimalist in in its organization. It's basically in twelve eight, <clears throat> and so it's exploring the fact that in twelve eight, you know, you can have six groups of two, three groups of four, four groups of three, <clears throat> you know, multiple pulses and so you can speed up and slow down without ever changing the actual pulse of the eighth note okay. yeah. um and so when i first started writing it i i just put the name riley as in terry riley oh my gosh, as okay. as sort of like what was kind of in the back of my mind and then you know when when it finished it's a much more composed piece than in c is i mean in that there's okay. no um I mean, everything, everything is very specifically notated. It's concrete, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, and in terms of when things happen. But I, but I thought, you know, given that this was really a, a very um, kind of sincere homage to Terry Riley, and I thought, okay, is there a way that I could be even more minimal than a title that's titled In C? <laughs> so I just called it C. I managed, I managed, yeah. I managed to, to reduce it to one letter, whereas his title had three. Um, <clears throat> but that, that was the first piece that, that a professional ensemble took up. Uh, there was a group called the Wong's Guitar Quartet. They premiered it and then they recorded it years after that. Um, and and really, the I'll I'll say tell you the big the biggest um, moment, even though it was a very very long moment, was a couple of years after that. I I had a sabbatical, which is one of the you know. One of the great things about you know if, if you know if you have a full-time teaching position, I mean yeah. they are just amazing, and <clears throat> I was able to do so much composing. That was just a, 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 a huge, huge thing for me. Um, and one of the pieces that came out of that um, was a guitar solo uh, that I I composed called "My Name Is Red." Okay. And that piece uh, <clears throat> probably has probably gotten the most traction. Well, no, I, I, sh I shouldn't say that. You know, I'm kind of going, going through the checklist of, of you know, what's performed <laughs> and whatnot. But <clears throat> that was also one of the earlier pieces that got, um, got a lot of traction. Um, I 
I, I played it a number of times at concert. Uh, I made a recording that then got nationally broadcast. Um, there have been two uh, professional recordings of it by other uh, performers, um, uh, Zane uh, Forshi and then uh, guitarist Drake Duffer. Uh, and Robert Trent, I don't know if you know Robert. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got a recording coming out. Uh, it's slated, coming out sometime this year. It was going to come out sometime last year. But, you know, pandemic's done everything, you know, pushing deadlines back. Um, he's recorded it. Uh, it's going to be on a, a CD uh, with works of Ian Krauss. The, the oh, cool. Absolutely, you know, just one of my... Yeah, I think, actually, I, I interviewed Robert, and I think I think he, he had mentioned that, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so that piece... Um, uh, my name is Red. Definitely got a lot of um, got a lot of attention, um, yeah, cool. which, was, which was you know great great for me. And then, <clears throat> like anything else, you know, you slowly start building up network of performers, of, of people that are interested in your music. And um, so at this point now, I mean, there guitar solos, duos, trios, quartets. I mean, yeah, a guitar figures in a lot of it. Uh, guitar and cello, guitar and viola, which is a which is a Great. fabulous oh, yeah. combination. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> guitar, viola, and choir, nice. uh, and also charango in there as well. Oh wow! Yeah, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a, a group, uh, a duo in Connecticut called the Alturas Duo. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Scott Hills, the guitarist, and Carlos Voltes is a uh, violist, but he also plays the charango. Um, okay. And, you know, I heard them in concert at Baltimore this is over 10 years ago. And, you know, at first, you know, my first thought in going to it is that, okay, you know, guitar and viola, that's good. And the charango, you know, is this going to be a little gimmicky? You know, like the first half is sort of serious. And then the second half, we're going to, you know. Condor pasa. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, is it going to be sort of cliche sort of thing? <clears throat> and it wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, they awesome. they... They are just fantastic. Um, they did a piece by Javier Farias. Um, um, I won't try the Spanish, but I, I believe the translation is The Flight of Your Soul. Um, oh it's a multi-movement piece, and it's just, it's just fantastic. Just for guitar and charango? Uh, I, think, I think guitar and viola, and I think the charango was involved in that as well. But the oh, charango cool. pieces that they did were also really, really interesting. Um, it wasn't sort of the, well, you know, the first half was serious and now we're just going to have fun. I mean, right, right. The, the fun stuff was also really serious. So, yeah. uh, I mean, after the concert and I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a particularly aggressive person. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, after the concert, I, I said, wow, you guys are just fantastic. And we chatted for a bit. I said, I, I would love to be able to write for this combination. And yeah. Scott Hill said, you know, he said, Let's talk. So we did. Um, I, I composed a number of pieces for them over the years now. Um, just, just an absolutely fantastic, um, fantastic duo. Great, great yeah. musicians, great performers. Um, I actually just wrote a, a piece for solo viola for Carlos uh, that he premiered uh, this, past, um, this past May. Um, he... he contacted me a little over a year ago and asked me to write a piece. He, he had been very moved by what he'd seen um, uh, in the Black Lives Matter, oh. uh, in, in the protests and, and the anguish. And <clears throat> because Carlos is from Chile, from Santiago, sure. which has had 
a very turbulent yeah. you know, yeah. last 50 years um, on and off, um, you know, and feeling very, um, very connected to to both, you know, the dispossessed and the oppressed and, and people mm -hmm. struggling. So he, he asked me if I would, would write a piece for Sola Viola, you know, that somehow related to Black Lives Matter. Um, you know, and I, <laughs> I emailed it back and I said, Carlos, you know, you, you do know I'm not a person of color, right? I mean, you know, you've, you, you've, stayed at, you've stayed at my house, you know? We've eaten together. I mean, you, know, you remember what I look like, right? Uh, but, you know, I mean, you know, at, at first I was, I thought, well, you know, that's kind of an odd, odd request. But, you know, the more I thought about it, if you only have people writing music around a theme like this around, you know, in this case, Black Lives Matter, if you only have people of color writing about it, then, then, you know, you've kind of segregated it all over again. Sure. Right. So, yeah. you know, with that in mind, um, I, uh, the piece is based on, on two fragments. One is, um, the slow movement of the Dvorak string quartet in F, uh, Opus 96 called the American sure. string quartet. <clears throat> the second movement it sounds very much like a spiritual. Right. That's always how it struck me. And it also always struck me that it sounds a lot like um the the spiritual motherless child. Mm -hmm. So I kind of combined the two. One sort of morphs into the other and it's kind of a set of, of sort of sort of fantasy variations okay. on that. Um so you see, the, you know, when I was talking before about, you know, how you, you make connections and things you know, sure. off, I mean, I mean, certainly, you know, 15 years ago, if somebody said, you know, write something, compose something for solo viola, I would have said, sure. But, <laughs> but then, you know, but then, you know, then you just have the solo viola piece. Um, I mean, if someone asks you, it's great, but, you know, you, it isn't the sort of thing you would just, maybe that wouldn't be the first thing that you would think of. Sure. sure. Um, so that was, that was great. And that was a, a really interesting challenge. You know, at the same time, I'll just mention also because this both happened this last year. Um, a very, very dear friend of mine, uh, we went to school together in San Francisco. Uh, Larry Almeida is a oh, yeah. guitarist um, in uh, Northern Idaho, and Larry is also a wonderful singer. And he um, he he's been really focused a lot on the music of Stephen Foster. Okay. And so he asked me if I would write, a, if I'd compose a solo guitar piece for him based on Stephen Foster. And now, you know, here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm working on this piece, kind of a Black Lives Matter. And then, the, yeah. then there's Stephen Foster, which is yeah. kind of on the other the side. The although, yeah. although, although apparently, you know, the scholars say that, that you know, Stephen Foster was, we have to be careful not to just judge him by the lyrics of some of the songs. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, 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 it's death. It's prickly stuff. It's definitely, it's definitely territory. You, you, you walk on very carefully. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and Larry does. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, so I ended up settling um, on, it, it's a kind of a theme in variations uh, again, uh, but on the song hard times. Uh -huh. Which is really, um, it's one of those, uh, again, it, it's talking very much about, um, you know, people who struggle. It's very much, you know, the workhouse, poor 
the people who who really are living on the edges. And so I I, I felt okay, you know, sort of using that kind of as a as a source material. But it was it was an interesting experience within you know within a few months of each other butting up yeah. each other. Yeah. 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 You know, it gives I, you a lot to think about for sure. What, I, what my original thought and, and I just, I, I just didn't think I had the compositional chops to pull this off. What I actually wanted to do was to write a solo viola piece and to write the Stephen Foster piece that could both be played separately, but then they also could be played together as one oh, piece, wow. kind of a unity. Which which would have been really cool, I just that but the divergence of the material I, I couldn't yeah. find I couldn't find any place where there was some way that I could make the, the two languages sort yeah. of meet. What in a the great middle. idea, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Wow. I mean, it would it would have been really cool, and you know, who knows? Maybe I'll I'll try that again. But <laughs> um, so <clears throat> yeah, and then the the, the last piece that I had uh, premiered was. Um, just before um, we we moved from Baltimore, um, I <clears throat> was commissioned to, to write a piece for the Atlantic Guitar Quartet, which is a, a okay. guitar quartet based in, in Baltimore. And uh, it was going to be for the Baltimore Class Guitar Society's series. Uh, and, <clears throat> you know, sort of like with the, with the previous two pieces, with the, the viola piece and the, the Stephen Foster piece, it's interesting to have a very sort of specific um, component to it. Right. You know, there's a <clears throat> there's an old story. It's like a homework assignment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there's 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 a story, and and I may get a little bit of the detail wrong, but um, uh, P.T. Barnum commissioned Igor Stravinsky to write a polka what? for his circus. Yeah, yeah. Oh my <clears> gosh. And he, because he wanted, he wanted a piece of Stravinsky's for when the elephants came into the ring. Oh and, my gosh! And, and so, and so Stravinsky said, <laughs> Str- Str- Stravinsky said, "Are they young elephants or are they old elephants?" Oh my! And gosh. Barnum said, "They're young elephants." And and Stravinsky said, "If they're young ele- elephants, I'll do it." And <clears throat> so, so this is. I, I bring I bring this up only in that you know one of I one of Stravinsky's. It little um dictums was that the more restricted he was the freer he felt sure and and you know if you think about it it, it's there's a lot of truth to that you know it's like you know you sit down i'm gonna write a novel (laughs) and there's that blinking cursor (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna compose a piece of music sure there's staff paper it's like where do you begin but the more constraint that's put on you you know, it can't be more than three minutes. It has to be sung in Latin. It has to, you know, whatever, whatever the yeah, kinds of... You don't of have to make those decisions on the fly. You can exactly. Just, you know, it sort of yeah. gives a focus. And so one of the questions when I was commissioned you know, for this quartet was, <laughs> first of all, would, would, they be able, would they be able to perform it live? You know, there was no, there was no guarantee that there was going to be live performance right. in a year. Right. And at the time, one of the ideas was that they might be able to play on stage together, but they might have to all be very physically separated, sure. like like by many feet yeah. apart, you know, as opposed to sitting, you know, in that nice little right. you know, yeah, sort of yeah, semicircle yeah. that quartets play in. So, so you have a spatial so, element now. <laughs> exactly. It, well, right. So, so my first thought was a spatial element, um, which led me, 
it, but again, this is what I'm saying that 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 having a few constraints helped the piece along. So uh, the, the title is is uh, in a way a nod to the pandemic. It's called Together Apart. Okay. And it was also <clears throat> that title because the four members were all living in different places and not able oh, to rehearse. They weren't going to be able to rehearse together. And we, oh we, we talked and they were going to have to do this somehow electronically. Somehow they were going to have to work together, but they physically could not be right. in the Couldn't, same right. yeah. space. Um, and look, you know, it's also, I mean, as I said at the time, uh, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a metaphor for how, how any ensemble works. You know, you, you, you practice, 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 you know, you're, you're alone, then you're together for a short period of time, and then you go off and then you practice. Yeah. Um, and because I thought they might have to be physically spaced, um, the first movement has, it's really kind of a hocket. You know, the, it's this melody, but it's played across four instruments. So had they been in a live concert setting, they would have been very far apart. Yeah. Um, and the second movement um, is taken from a novel uh, by a, 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 a writer that I really like, named Rachel Joyce. And the, there's a scene in it where this woman who's in love with this guy and he doesn't know it, she's watching him from the windows, like up on the third floor of this factory. And he's like gone out to take the trash or something. And it's right. snowing. And he's, 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 you know, he's, he's just by himself and he's in the snow and he starts dancing. You know, <laughs> it's one of those, you know, dance like no one is watching kind of things. Right. Yeah, yeah. But there she is watching. And, and I mean, it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful passage in, in this novel. But that also sort of struck me as a COVID metaphor that sure. the way we've been lit, particularly at the time I was writing this, the way we're living our lives is yeah. we're observing things go by. We're not actually participating. We're not mm -hmm. in space. Yeah, or we're, we're not alone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So then, and then the, the third movement isn't COVID related at all. It's just based on the, it's just based on the prelude to the sixth cello suite. By Bob. Yeah. I mean, I, I wanted something, I wanted something kind of joyous and happy Joyful, at the end. Yeah, and, sure. and that was, the, that was the piece that, that came to mind. So that was sort of the inspiration for that. Yeah, but, but the, cool. but the original constraints, I think were really helpful. Yeah. You know, in writing. Uh, yeah. No. Yeah. So you didn't necessarily have formal training in composition, right? right. I mean, so you, I mean, you obviously are a formally trained musician and, and we learn right. about these things when we go to school right. and whatnot. So right. how did, how did you, how did you attack that in terms of like just honing your craft, building your craft and, and yeah. Yeah. Learning, learning about composition? How was, how was that worked out for you? Well, you know, you, you answered the first part of it uh, in that anybody who becomes a professional musician, you know, you have, if you're paying attention, you get a thorough, well. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very important caveat. <laughs> well, it is. And, and, a lot, and, and, and a lot of us, a lot of us we went to school with people who, who weren't um, or who didn't. <clears throat> but um, I've always felt that, well, a couple of things. Um, first of all, a lot of it's trial and error, okay? <clears throat> the beauty about composing as opposed to say, teaching yourself how to play the cello. I mean, if you don't know what you're doing, you can hurt yourself. Yeah. You know, right, I mean, if you right. don't know what you're sure. doing, I mean, you know, you, you can, 
you know, you, you can really screw yourself up physically. You know, and that's that's why teachers are so important. I mean, one reason why teachers are important. But you know, compositionally, you can't hurt right. anything. You know, you, you know, you might you might be you know emotionally yeah, well, yeah, you know, you, you might emotionally not, not be in a in a happy place. But once you sort of understand that and you can experiment, that's yeah. that's that's a real liberation. Um, so huh. there's that. You rely on your training your imagination but i also like to think you know part of part of when you're being trained as a composer and i know this from a lot of discussions i've had with my son who is a composer he um, okay yeah he's on the, he's on the, the composition faculty at the boston conservatory um and and watching what he how he you know how his education took place yeah uh, you know what a composition teacher does um you know, this is kind of coming by him, is, you know, they don't say, oh, you should do this, you should do this, do this. But yeah. have you considered this? Have you considered that? Have you considered sure. this? And just as importantly, have you listened to this, this, yeah. and this? Part of their job as, as composition teachers is to expand your range of listening, to get yeah. more sounds into your ears so you have a wider array and a palette. I mean, there's all. I mean, there's also obviously the, the, just the practical things. You know, yeah, you yeah. you can't you can't play a low B flat and slur to a high C three octaves away. I mean, you know, things right. are physically impossible. <clears throat> you know, if you want the strings to to if you want them to pizzicato immediately after bowing a note, right. well, you want it to be an up bow. Right. Otherwise, <laughs> it's not going to happen. I mean, so there, you know, there are a thousand and one sort of practical things. You know, having the composition teacher say, "Remember, the oboe players got to breathe." Right. You know, they're they're trying to inflate a balloon that's made out of wood, so you got to <laughs> give them a break. You know, um, I mean, so there there are those those practical things. Yeah. Um, but the um, but the other thing is that you know, as a performer. You know, we, Julie and I played, and and you know, as a soloist, you know, playing a lot of Bach, Handel, Scarlatti, yeah. Schubert, Brahms, Shostakovich, yeah. all all the guitar composers. You know, a lot of 20th century composers, and I like to think that I was paying attention. Sure. You know, when that I was sense. I was playing Absolutely. this music, yeah. uh, you learn a lot about music by playing music. If if you're taking the time to be aware of it, right? And so sure. that so you know by the time I started writing music, you know I'd already had a pretty substantial performing career. So th there was there was a lot of musical knowledge that was yeah. there. And I think you know if somebody's 18 and studying composition, you know one of the first things someone's going to say is, you know, well have you listened to you know here right. here and here here? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I have. No. <laughs> no, right, but right. but you know, starting at the age when I did, I had listened to a lot of. Sure. Them. That's not sure. to say that it, that that composition training isn't vital. I mean, it's a it's right. a it's a really it's a much faster path to where you go. Um, <clears throat> it's just an interesting problem, you know, because it's it's 
you know, I, I think it, there's there's this craft involved. You know, it, it, it's yeah. it's not just I'm I'm going to start writing today. Well, you know, it's like well, you kind of you do have to have to have some ideas about these things and what works yeah. and why and, and that sort of and, thing. But yeah, and, a career of playing high quality music probably helps you do that intuitively. Yeah. It, yeah. No. Yeah. I I I think I think it does. Um, it and one thing that one should always do if you have the the chance is to run things past. The people who play those instruments. Sure. I yeah, mean, we've yeah. all we've all come across guitar scores that are just unplayable, <laughs> because you know the person thought, oh well, gee, <laughs> you know that looks like it's possible. Right. You know, and, you and six strings, I can write you know <laughs> six notes in, in rapid succession it, it, very quickly. Right. <laughs> and you can play that, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I'm, one of my <clears throat> one of my favorite. Um, Examples of this is when when Hunter Henze was writing the Royal Winter music for Julian Bream, he went and stayed at Bream's estate in yeah. in Wiltshire, and basically, you know, Henze would compose in the morning, Bream would practice it in the afternoon, and in the evenings they'd get together, and Bream would say, "This works, this works, that doesn't. Yeah. Um, this chord's unplayable. This chord's playable, but only if you, you know." And then, sure. you know, so so Henze was able to use sort of the full range of his imagination and then he had Bream to kind of rein it in. Wouldn't that have been fun to watch? Yeah. <laughs> so so I mean that you know I when I send stuff out, you know, particularly if it's for an instrument that I don't know, which means anything that's not the guitar, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm I always say, you know, if yeah. there are more idiomatic ways of doing things, uh, I have a, uh, a a piece for guitar and oboe which um, when uh, it's gotten a, had a number of performances and then I was talking to one of the oboists once and she just said you know this lies on the instrument really well and uh -huh. and I said good and then she just said, <laughs> said she kind of looked at me and said how did you manage to do that and the only the only thing that I had working for me was that when I was when I was in um, high school I also played the flute um, okay, and so I so I I and then you know in in um, in college I played an early music ensemble. I played all all the whole family of recorders. Okay, so I I yeah, knew so you have an understanding of that. I, I understood I understood concept, basic fingerings, yeah. and I understood octave breaks, and I understood you know like you know here's here's where the here's where the fiddly spot gets, um, <laughs> you know, and also a little bit about wind. I you know, but if I had to write for a trombone, I would. Yeah. I talked to a trombone player, um, sure. you know, first. So, you know, and then uh, anytime I send stuff, you know, uh, you know, sometimes I, I will get, uh, you know, a few comments back. And sometimes I get a lot of comments back. And, you know, they're, they're just like things that we would do as guitarists and say, sure. you know, if you play this as a harmonic, you know, is it okay if we play this over here? Um, yeah. Things that I think work because I think they lie on the instrument. Well, you know, yeah. somebody who plays the instrument, you know, tells, tells you otherwise. Sure. Yeah, that's interesting. So, do you have any plans to write any uh, trombone and guitar music coming up here? No. You need about fifty guitarists and one trombone. <laughs> that, that, that's it. That's it. And then the fifty guitarists can call in sick because they won't be heard anyway, right? You know, <laughs> once once the trombone starts. Playing. Forty-nine of them just sit there. One guy plays. Exactly. <laughs> it's the same. So. Um, now, I, at the moment, uh, I'm, I am working on a woodwind quintet, 
And oh, cool. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. It's one of those. It, it, it's a medium that I've I've never been a, you know really drawn to. Yeah. You know, partly because the 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 a lot of the music for woodwind quintet, uh, you know, from the you know late 18th and early 19th century, and it never really grabbed me. But but for some reason, I just I don't know. I kind of had this this idea at the beginning of the year. So I've been working on on that. Um, cool. I'm I'm finally. I'm finally writing stuff for guitar and flute, which you'd think I would have done that a long time ago. I mean, <clears throat> guitar and cello, guitar and, and viola, guitar and oboe. Yeah. What's what's missing from this picture, right? Uh, well, I mean, there, I think I, I think there's a pl there's a lot of guitar and flute music already, so I, yeah, I understand yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, you know, and, and this is this is this is one of the catch twenty twos that you run up against in that. Um, if you if you if you write for guitar and flute, there are a lot of guitar and flute ensembles. There are a lot of guitar right. flute duos. Well, sure, oh yeah, which is true. which is really good. On so the other hand, yeah. there's so much music out there yeah. for it. Yeah, you know? that's tremendous. There aren't that there aren't that many guitar cello duos. Right. Right. So, so you, writing something, you get those played for the different reason. Yeah. Right. But then once they've been played, who else? There's not too many other people to pick it right. up. You know, so it, it's a, and, and and I would say this is this is also you know sort of a compositional you know philosophy in a way, and I think that this is informed partly from um, you know my years as a performer, in that I was the kind of player, uh, and 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 Julian and I were the kind of duo that we would learn repertoire for a program that would be kind of the the centerpiece for our program for a season, you know, and you'd swap sure. some pieces out, sure. but like, if we're going to learn this piece, we're going to get as much mileage out of it as we can. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to, yeah. we're going to take this on our fingers as opposed to say somebody who's in a contemporary music ensemble and each week it's a new piece. And, yeah. you know, I mean, I know a violinist, she's literally premiered hundreds of pieces Amazing. I mean, no, like she, I mean, she, she might do 20 or 30, you know, premieres of pieces a year. But once she's played it, probably not going to play it again because she's not a yeah. recitalist in that way. You know, she's a violinist. She's called to do, you know, here, there. And it's just it's a completely different way of looking at it. And you have you have composers who will write for very um, sort of idiosyncratic ensembles, you know, like... Um, I mean, for instance, my son wrote a piece for, uh, I, I think it's violin, flute, cello, I think is the other instrument, and then cymbalum, that Hungarian <laughs> sort of hammer dulcimer instrument. Right, sure. It's a really, it's a really, really cool piece. Are there, are but, there any standing ensembles with that instrumentation? Well, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, how many cymbalums are there in the United States? Well, right, So, yeah. you know, but his, his philosophy is you every piece you write is and i'm 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 paraphrasing him now it, you're sort of applying for your next commission you know someone's going to hear that and say hey we should get yeah. this guy to write right for you know for our our oddly configured sure. ensemble yeah yeah um whereas i'm a little more I and mean, I, I try to think more along the lines of you know i mean if somebody asks me to write for, you know, marimba, triangle, 
and bassoon, sure. Yeah, sure. no, I mean, I'll do it. But, but I also know it's like those three people are probably the only people who are ever going to play this piece. And, yeah. and, that's, and that's fine. But I tend to think of it more like, well, I want to write a piece that somebody's going to learn and then they're going to take it with them on tour. You know, that, that, that sort of thing. Um, and I, and to, to that end, I try to be practical in that, um, you know, realizing that not everybody's going to take up, for example, and I mentioned um, that there's a choral piece uh, that I was commissioned in, for this choir and then the Alturas duo. So it's for choir <clears throat> plus guitar, viola, and charango, you know, viola or charango. So yeah. now you can also do it with harps, you know, in, in sure. place of, you know, so harp and viola or two harps or whatever. Um, but they wanted the piece to be long enough for half the concert. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so it's like about, it's about a 35 minute, 35 minute nice. worth. Wow. Um, yeah, no, that's great. But, but one of the things that I did, I mean, one of the challenges if you're asked to write something like that is, well, you know, you got to come up with a text, yeah. right? You know, what do you, what do you do? What do you do with that? So <clears throat> one of the things that I, I settled on was rather than a text, I settled on a theme. So then I found lots of poetry around that theme so they could be by different writers. Yeah, very the, cool. The, 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 the it's called Songs of Water, Canciones del Alba, because some of the texts are in Spanish. But <clears throat> it's in seven movements. And so you can excerpt, you know, you can play, yeah. you, can, you can do the whole thing. But again, like I said, that's a, that's a big commitment yeah, on a concert is. and for a choir and for anybody. But you can also, there, there's, you know, one movement's just, you know, choir unaccompanied, another is just choir um, and the charango, you know, so, you know, that you can, it, you try to make it practical because right. if, if you, you... You don't have one of those jerky uh, caveats in the introduction that says work must be performed in its entirety from beginning to end. No one yes. knows. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of when composers do that. It's like, well, yes. yeah, you say that, but here we go. <laughs> well, you know, I think, and I, and I think, I think if it doesn't say that, I think if you squirt lemon juice on the paper and, and hold it up over a candle, you will still see that it's actually there. Um, I mean, you know, of course, that's, that's what we would all, you know, love to have right. happen. But, but, you know, you've got to, I, my feeling is it helps to live in a practical world. Sure. Um, you know, my, you know, my goal in writing stuff is, is for people to play it. And if and people to hear it, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, 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 and if, um, and if I'm, if I write something that's just prohibitively too long, um, I, I remember, you know, with Julian, we did the American premiere of this piece by Gilbert Berberian called Once Upon a Time. Uh -huh. The first movement's 15 minutes, the second movement is 16 minutes, and then the last movement is four minutes. I mean, it's a great piece. It was a yeah. great piece, and we loved working on it, we loved performing it. But, you know, that's not an easy piece to, to tour sure, with, to program. Or to, carry, yeah. to, to program. <laughs> Um, hey, Gilbert, and, is it okay if we just play the last movement? <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and it's, you know, playing the first movement is, is unsatisfactory. Playing the second movement. I mean, it really, right. you know, it's, yeah, it, you, you, you got to do, you got to do the whole thing. So, um, 
try to avoid that if you know if yeah, at all possible sure. you know otherwise otherwise all you do is yeah the 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 sort of hubris of you know i will only allow this you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know the story of, of when um, um, the Beethoven Violin Concerto was premiered. I don't in, think so. In those days, in those days, they didn't just play the first, second, and then the third movement. Right. They played the first movement, then they did something else, then they played the second movement, and then right. then the violinist played a piece of his own. Right. That involved playing the violin behind his back. Oh, my gosh. Because he, he was a showman. And then they played the last movement. Right. So, you know, the, the idea um, that, that a Brahms symphony, you know, or a string quartet has to be this inviolate. Sacred, sacred thing, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> I mean, certainly, you know, the power of those pieces is, is increased when you do that. But... Um, but you, know, you don't always have time for that. Right. It doesn't. Sure. It doesn't always work. And and um, sometimes just taking an excerpt works yeah. really nicely. Sure. So you know, I, again, you know, sort of practicality is is, yeah. is important. You want to get you want to get the peop the music in people's ears. I mean, that's that's really yeah. what it comes down to. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Because 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 you know, once you finished composing it. You know, it's not doing you any good. It's just sitting there. <laughs> not doing anything. Good. Boy, that score looks great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> exactly. What exactly. a fine looking score. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hey, right. can we talk about the duo a little bit? Yeah, because sure. I, I, I'm just curious because, again, when when I when I met you, it was it was through through uh, the duo. Right. I had I had been you know I lived in Northern Virginia. And when I would come home from college during the summers and whatnot, I would go up to Baltimore and take lessons mm -hmm. from from Julian. Right. Um, and of course, anytime I had the opportunity to see you guys play, so I, I'm just I'm just curious about all that. And I I was always really just I mean, as far as guitar duos were concerned at the time, I just thought I thought you guys really represented something very intense and 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 of the highest level and, and, oh, thank and you. very impressive, you know. And, yeah. and I just. You know, I, I never really got the story of how 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 you came together to be what what the the thinking was on everything. I mean, just yeah. le learning that you uh, arranged collaboratively that's 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 a really yeah. interesting thing for me. And, and well, I just the, want to hear the, more about that. Yeah, the, the the origin story is a fun one. Um, so, uh, at the end of of one of the one of the academic years at Peabody, uh, there would always be an ensemble concert. And because a lot of the students had had gone down to North Carolina um, with Aaron Shearer, there weren't as many. There just weren't as many ensembles. So, okay. right. so sure. um, I was I was playing uh, in in a in a trio, um, and and Ray Chester asked me if I'd play a solo piece as well because you know just just to sort of pad out the program. So I. Played uh, the soar, the the fantasy elegiaque, the Opus mm -hmm. Fifty Nine, yeah. um, and uh, this you know it's like in you know sometime in mid May or so you know I I played it and then I left. Well, well, Julian was in the audience and he 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 liked what he'd heard, so you know he was thinking, huh, well this 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 might be something fun to explore. And I was out uh, <clears throat> that summer, you know, I was out in uh, gone uh, out to Seattle to visit my mother, and then I I spent a month. Um, 
in northern Idaho because uh, Aaron Shearer would go out there every summer and he right, would, that's right, would take yeah. a, you know students. We, we all you know rented rooms in people's houses uh, and took lessons with Aaron. And you know, it was, you know we just we practiced like crazy. You know, had lessons with him. You know, had rep classes, and uh, I mean, it was a great you know, sort of intensive environment. So I got back to Baltimore at the end of the summer, and uh, uh, Wendy said to me, "So, oh, you got a phone call from a guy named uh, Julian Gray." Uh, <clears throat> so you know, I called him back. He said, "You know, I heard you play. Um, you know, would you like to kind of like get together and like read through some music together?" So you know, oh my we, gosh. you know, so you well, know, what was we, he doing at the time? Um, he had graduated from Peabody. He was teaching um, at uh, at a local community college that had a really, really active music program. It was a great, great place. Um, you know, like anybody, you know, you know, a little yeah. of this, a little of that. Mm -hmm. uh, he did some playing with the Baltimore Consort, the the okay. music group. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, unlike all of us, you know, kind of trying to sort of you know piece it piece it all together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> we. Um, you know, we got together a couple of times. We read through some stuff, and we thought, like, "Wow, this is this is this actually sounds pretty good." <laughs> and you know, I had a, I pulled out a couple of pieces that I had arranged for two guitars, and we read through those. One was Brahms' piece that I really liked, and kind of like, "That's really cool to do this." So, like, why don't we work up a program and maybe give a concert? You know, what do you think? And so we started working together. Um, this is this is sort of the fun little twist in the in the origin story. Um, we'd been we'd been rehearsing for a couple of weeks, and I said, "I'm I'm going to be I'm not going to be able to to get together um, next week." I said, "I'm tied up, you know, from now, you know, through the weekend." And he said, "That's okay. I'm, I'm I got a lot of stuff going on." Well, and I said, "What's going on with you?" And he said, "Well, I'm getting married on Friday." <laughs> and I said, "And I and I I said, oh, that's interesting because I'm getting married on Sunday." Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, we got we we we, yeah, we we got married two two, two days apart. Uh, <laughs> my, I, I, what I think is great is you know the the, the, the casual, you know I, I'm not I'm just not gonna be able to rehearse next week. I got something coming up. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just a major life event yeah, yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so that was kind of right. So you know, so we worked we worked that first year, and then we gave a concert um, in the spring, and it was it was really successful. So we thought, well, you know, let's. Let's keep doing this. Yeah. And so we got some photographs and we got a brochure and then we mailed out hundreds of brochures and we got no response. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, the, <clears throat> I mean, you got to, you know, the, the, thing, the thing people have to remember is that this is all pre-internet. I mean, you know, oh, you're yeah. not emailing anybody. And then after, you know, we'd given a couple of concerts and we had some decent audio then we had you know cassette tapes that we would send mm -hmm. out and i remember going to the post office once we had we had our brochure so familiar and we had <laughs> the tapes and we had the reviews and the packets and they're all in these big padded envelopes and yeah. i'm taking a stack of these i go on my front door and you know go down the steps and there's the garbage can and, and i thought <laughs> you know you know, if I if I just if I just dump these in the garbage can and save my trip to the post office, I'll save on postage because because the the end result is really pretty much going to be about the same, right? Because I mean, you just your the rate of return on oh, stuff, yeah. but yeah. but it's what you had to do. I mean, that's right. that's, mm -hmm. that's how how we did stuff, and you know, so so you know, there's no such thing as an overnight anything. Yeah. You know, step right. by step, 
we do concerts here and then and then there and then um we did a concert in london that got some really nice reviews and we got to meet some composers and that's how our association with gilbert bavarian started and oliver hunt wrote a piece for us and um the uh so yeah it's just it 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 is incremental and and you know that i think sometimes in it may it may have been this way in the early days like back in the 70s you know when guitar competitions were unusual and i shouldn't say unusual they 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 were not once a year occurrences you know so if if you won the toronto competition right or if you won the the radio france competition there was suddenly there was a lot of attention paid to you and i'm not saying that there isn't now but um you know competitions different it's definitely different. yeah it, it, it is different um and, you know, I mean, again, you know, at, at, at that time, uh, I can remember, um, you know, you know for, the pur- for the purposes of our discussion, I'm only going to say things that I said that were really intelligent. You know, I said before, you know, <laughs> there, you know the, things that we, the things that we say that weren't such good ideas, um, I just, I will, I will just go on record as saying I've had lots of those. Um, <laughs> but, but I remember... Um, I was in Spain, and there was a, a guitarist there, a guy from Canada, and and you know he's he he we were sitting around talking, and you know this is at the time. So there's you know there's Segovia, there's Bream and Williams, there's Yepes, there's Parkening, there's Michael Lorimer, um, but you know on that on the the top of the pyramid, it wasn't like there were dozens of people. Yeah. You, you could know all of those people. You could name them. Right. Yeah, you and, could and, listen and to all of their recordings. Exactly. Yeah, the thing. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. You know, you, you know like, like Thomas Jefferson was said to have, like, read everything that was in the printed world. You know, you know, yeah. like, you know it's like... You, it was you, possible you, then, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and we sort of knew all the guitarists. And I remember this guy saying, well, who's going to be the next Segovia? And I remember saying to him, I don't think what we need is in the next Segovia. What we don't have is a middle class. We've yeah. got an elite group. We've got an elite yeah. group of guitarists. And I said, look, when, when, I was, when I was in Seattle, finding a really good classical guitar teacher was almost impossible. Right. It's not the case now, but it was right. when, I, when I was and there. And you couldn't go to the university and study guitar. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> exactly. Um, but, you know, think about, you know, you know, let's go back way before you know my time you know like 1950 in any town of any size in america you could find a piano teacher probably find a violin teacher and probably relatively high quality too i'm sure there were hacks out there too but the the pedagogical tradition exactly exactly you know and and that was just not the case with guitar and it wasn't even the case with guitar you know in the 70s now you know, it's if somebody to be that way, yeah. yeah, exactly. We have a middle class. We have there's there's this huge swath. <laughs> there's a guitar bourgeoisie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, there's this huge swath of professionally trained, musically intelligent, technically proficient guitar players. Who are you know, yeah. not everybody's a professional performer, you know, with a concert yeah. career, but there's a just a huge number of them there, uh, and that's that's a, a a huge a huge thing. Uh, and boy, I've lost the thread. Why? Why did I go down that particular rabbit hole of that? 
um, something about oh 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 because we were talking about building the career and and yeah. you know you, you win that competition and then suddenly there's a spotlight right. on you. Um, well, you know, I, I don't want to say that the field is glutted because I don't think that that's ever the case. And, you know, yeah. as one, it's, it's a good problem to have. I, that's the way yeah. I look at it. It's like, oh my gosh, there's too many good players in the world now. You know, right. <laughs> as, as, oh darn. As, 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 as one person, I, I think it was Tom Patterson, uh, the, the the guy who runs the program at um, uh, University of Arizona in Tucson. I think it was Tom that said this. Um, he said the problem, the, the issue isn't how do we divide up the pie into smaller portions? It's really how you grow, how do you grow the pie? Right, how do you sure. make, make, you know, the situation so that, that there's more opportunities for more guitarists for greater audiences. Absolutely. And that, that's really the, that's really the, the, the challenge. Um, but that's all to say that, you know, there, there wasn't any sort of, you know, like a moment where suddenly, oh, now all of a sudden Julian and I are, on the map, you know, it's just yeah. kind of going up and going up, you know, and, after, you know, and staying consistent little, about it. Right. You know, and, you know, you know, then people would say, hey, you know, that was that was really good. Or, um, you know, you guys need to work on this. You need to work on that. I mean, you know, yeah. well, I mean, you know, good, you know, good constructive criticism is is always sure. is always welcome if you're smart enough to take it. Right, right. many of us aren't there's but, the paying uh, attention thing again <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly and and the and and learning learning from learning from your peers i mean this is one of the things that um and this is this is probably one of the most vital things you know for, for people who go to uh you know music programs you know, you know guitar programs and whatnot is yeah the the teacher the person you're going to study with is really really important but the other, the other thing's going to be really important are your peers. Yep. I mean, I I learned so much from the people I was around. The sure. discussions, the the wait a minute, how did you do that? What did you? Yeah. What? Could you yeah. show that to me again? I mean, you know, you know, you're meeting with your teacher, you know, once a week. You know, yeah. you're with these people all the time and in class, and you're hearing them play, and and there's just, um, and and I think the same thing has to happen as a professional. You know, if you if you go to a right, it doesn't stop when you get out of school. Sure, yeah. Right, right. And you know, and again, yeah. So, so you need you need to be open to it. You need to be humble enough that you can be learning things from from other people, um, and that's that's a that's a really important that's an important attribute. You know? sure. Growth is a good thing, yeah. um, but you you have to be you know you have to give it a it has to have enough of a fertile environment. Yeah. So when when did you guys stop playing actively as a duo? When when did that? Yeah. So it was so right around uh, two thousand and one um, was when we kind of came to the I don't want to say the realization that that things had run their course. Um, we we were kind of moving in in different directions in a way, and um, I mean <clears throat> the playing that we were doing was still I, I thought. You know, really, really good playing. We yeah, I think the last time I heard you guys was around that time. So yeah, it was just yeah. Was that was that was that the in Columbus? In Columbus, yeah, that was that was two thousand. That was two thousand. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I I was I was looking for different pastors. I didn't know exactly what 
you know, there's the, there's the, you know, one door closes and another door opens. <laughs> but you know, that room can be dark for quite a while before that door opens. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we, we had, uh, and, and I don't, you know, I don't in any way want to, you know, throw Julian under the bus here. I don't, don't want, you know, and, and as soon, and as soon as you say that, you know, here, here we go. Like, okay. Here's the juicy bit. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can, is he going to be able to get the tire treads off the sweater or not? Um, no, I mean, you know, he was doing a, a, a ton of teaching at Peabody. You know, he had a young family and, um, we just weren't able to kind of continue exploring new repertoire in the way that, that yeah. we had done. And, and I was also, you know, I was, I was starting to, I think in the back of my mind, the, I needed to move in another direction. I just wasn't sure what that direction was. Yeah. So, you know, we, um, we came to the agreement that we'd finish out the 2001 season we had a lot of concerts that that spring and because we had a cd coming out that spring um that you know we'd see you know we'd take whatever concerts kind of came as a result of the bounce from that Mm -hmm. and whatnot and so that that took us through around to the the uh the end of the 2003 season okay um yeah and then uh again you know then that was sort of a um I don't want to say sort of like a, a wait and see, you know, like a, like yeah. a trial separation, you know, I don't know. Um, but, you know, sh- you know, within, within, a, you know, within a year or two, my, my interest in composition, you know, was, yeah. was growing stronger and I wasn't feeling, you know, I'm just speaking for myself here. I wasn't feeling, you know, a strong pull to go, to go back to playing in the duo. Um, I mean, I, I certainly uh, appreciate the um, and, and, you know, have great memories and fond memories of the yeah. years that we worked together. Uh, Julian's an extraordinary musician. He is just yeah. a, 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 I mean, he's a, a, a fabulous player and even more a really fabulous musical mind. I mean, just, yeah. I really just, you know, there are a few people in the music, in the guitar world, who, you know, when they talk about the guitar, they talk about music. He, yeah. He's 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 kind of you know he's he's up there you know for me. His um, his enthusiasm. That was one when I when I studied with him, and and he, you know, I it's not like I took a lot of lessons with him, but I took mm-hmm. a lot of long lessons with mm-hmm. him, and it was just his enthusiasm for the process and the way that he would describe things was just so exciting you know yeah. and, and and i just remember because it was like a three-hour drive for me to get up to baltimore sure you know and i just remember always driving back and my my, my head spinning it's like a just, top yeah. and, and just it just constant inspiration you know yeah. and and, yeah. and i still think when i think about him and i think about the time that i spent studying with him that was you know that's that's what comes to mind is is that that just well, bubbly you know, enthusiasm like such right. excitement and it was it was great yeah. And and if if it if a teacher you know I mean they can give you lots of concrete information and yeah. lots of specific solutions, um, but if if in the end they they help maintain your enthusiasm, yeah. so then you know so that when you go home you want to work. Right. That 
you know, I mean, that's, 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 that's fantastic. Um, I, uh, do you know Ricardo Isnola in Denver? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. I mean, he's, he's another one. I, I, I would say, um, I mean, I, I, I would probably say the same thing about Julian, but because I said Julian, you know, several times a week, you know, for 20 years, it, it didn't have quite the same impact. But Ricardo was one of the, is one of those guys where every time I had a conversation with him, I always, I always walked away. I always had something to think about and, and I always felt I was a little smarter, yeah. you know, for having, yeah. having had that conversation with him. Yeah, uh, and so I, I think the same is true with Julian only, you know, that, it was it was a perhaps a, a slower process yeah. because it was you know in these small little installments over a much you know very long long period of time um so you know i mean that that said um and you, you guys played together for each said 20 years yeah it was 20 years yeah I yeah mean, from first to last that's a good run you it, know? Is. <laughs> yeah, it is a good run and you know i think um i think it's really important to have stopped before one or the other of us got to a point of being, you know, disgusted, you know, I I mean, that, that's maybe too strong a word, but, um, you know, you want to stop while you're still, you know, you still feel really good about what you've done, you know? Um, so, I mean, you know, and there's, there's, there's never a perfect time, you know, for, for any, any of those kinds of things. Um, and uh, so I'm very, very thankful and happy with the work that we did. I'm, I'm really excited, though, that I have been able to return to that um, impulse, you know, to compose. Sure. You know, that's yeah, been yeah. A, a really rewarding thing. So, uh, and I don't know that I would have been able to do that had we continued performing, right. you know. Sure, that makes sense. How many recordings did you guys do? We did four. Okay. And then some of the tracks got excerpted onto some other recordings and whatnot. Right. Yeah, there were there were four. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I was, I was, I, I had, I had two of them on cassette tape. I, I couldn't even tell you which two. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was, it's going way back, um, long gone. <laughs> but I, I, I enjoyed the recordings very much, and yeah, and yeah, I, 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 I must have seen you guys play at least a half dozen times. Okay. I mean, yeah. It was, yeah, it was always, I, I, I kind of always had that in my head is, you know, that's, that's, that's what a guitar duo should be doing. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, I will say arranging the sound matching, every, everything just seemed really, really just perfect, you know? And, well, and, thank you. I mean, we, we did work, we worked very hard, we were very hard work, very consistently, um, you know, in, in a way, sort of the parallel of, of, you know, the Stravinsky, you know, the more the constraint, yeah. the greater the freedom. Um, one time I remember after, after a concert, you know, a little you know, reception afterwards, somebody came up to me and he said, so you guys seem to have everything so tightly worked out and just, you know, all the ensemble and whatnot, but don't you feel like that's a little suffocating? Cause like, I mean, how oh do you, gosh. you know, how can you have any freedom with that? And, and I mean, that's actually a really interesting question because, um, you know, it kind of implies that like everything is set, but the, the way I was able to explain it to this guy, um, and if you'll pardon the sports analogy, but but you understand <laughs> baseball, so here we go. Um, 
at any given moment, you know, I know that, you know, my duo partner, like there's going to be, there's going to be a ralentando here. He's, he's going to slow down or he's going to speed up. I don't know exactly how much, but I know he's going to do it. And so that's like the catcher setting up on the lower outside portion of the plate, sure. you know, and, and, and if, if, and if he, and if the, the pitcher throws it high and inside, you know, that's going to be a passed ball. That's a wild pitch. You know, so the thing is the pitcher's got the freedom to throw it. He just has to go in that direction. Yeah, so sure. how much time, how, how bright the sound, how, how strong the crescendo, those are things that, and you're responding to that in yeah. real time. I mean, it, it may seem to someone when things are really, really well meshed that we've sort of mechanically calibrated everything together. But, but it's actually the opposite. Knowing what the other person is going to do makes you relax, and you're then able to inflect and, and be much more and expressive. And when you've played with somebody that much, it becomes, I mean, you don't even have to talk about it anymore. It's, it's just the, the conversation happens in the music, you know. And, Large, and there's, largely, there's, there's yes. Yeah. intuitive sense of, I, yeah. I, this, feels, this feels very familiar because I, I've played with him so much i you know it's like right. breathing together you know right well and you know you mentioned the breathing together you know what really would really throw us off is if one of us had a cold <laughs> because <laughs> because you're not you know because you're not you're not breathing and, and sometimes yeah. you know the you know an inhale you know i'm just trying to like i'm just trying to unstuff <laughs> my nose but wait a minute was that a cue hold, hold on you know <laughs> again, again, you know, again, the inner you know, sanctum is, has been revealed. Right, right. Well, you know, again, you know, it's, it's, it's the sports thing, you know, the, the, the guy, oh, you know, the guy looks at the third base coach and then suddenly, he's, you know, he starts to steal second and he gets, you know, he gets picked off, you know, by 20 feet. And, and he says, you know, the guy, you know, goes back into the dugout and the manager says, what were you thinking? Why were you trying to steal second? He said, well, the third base coach, you know, he's giving me the signal. You know, and goes to the third base coach. He says, what was the signal? He says, what signal? I had a mosquito bite, you know? <laughs> I just scratched. So, so, yeah, um, you know, you, you, you learn, you learn, the, you learn the body language. Um, yeah, I mean, it, there is, there's definitely, I mean, the smaller the ensemble, you know, you know, the yeah. duo, you know, duo, trio, quartet. I mean, beyond, you know, larger than a quartet, you know, these things start to break down. But, I mean, there's certainly a kind of intimacy. Oh, absolutely. That's there in terms of, you know, how, how another person is, um, you know, I mean, how they move, how they breathe. And yeah. um, that's, uh, I mean, you know, one of the last, not one of the last concerts I saw, but um, before, before the pandemic shut things down. But uh, uh, in the fall, before the pandemic, um, so I guess it would be the fall of uh, 2019, uh, I saw the the Assad brothers. Oh yeah, Sergio and Odair. And you know, I hadn't I I'd, I'd seen Odair a couple of years before. It'd been a few years since I'd seen the two of them together. Um, and one of the things that was just evident, I mean, you know, wonderful playing and a wonderful duo, you know, of course, but just how much how much pleasure they took being in each other's company playing. You know, I think that was like you could just you could just sort of see that you know these these two brothers and you're like they really yeah. love being on stage mm -hmm. with each other. I, was, I always had the impression that it was just every time they they played they were just 
shuttling themselves back to their childhood. Like, mm-hmm. the, 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 you know, yeah, it just they, they had that element to it that was just unbelievable. And, yeah. yeah. And, you know, one thing I have to also say, you know, on in, <clears throat> I shouldn't say on their behalf, not like I speak for them. But, <laughs> but one of the, one of, one of the things that always, that always bothers me is when people say, oh, you know, well, you know, I mean, they're brothers, okay? So they're going to have this great duo. No, they worked really, They still had to do the work. Yeah, Yeah, they worked really hard. You know, and husband and wife duos, oh, well, you know, they're married. It's like, (laughs) no. You You know, I've been in one of those. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It was was no picnic. (laughs) No, you you, you have to to work. It's like, I'm, I'm sure you've seen this meme that goes around on the internet. Someone says, oh, you're so talented. Well, I've practiced really hard. Yeah, yeah, but you're yeah. so talented. But, yeah. You know, it's like, well, you guys play together so well because, you know, there's like, there's just this genetic bond. Yeah, okay, no. you know, <laughs> have just fun, but you got to practice, you got to work. Yeah. And, and they clearly put in the work. And sometimes I think inadvertently they don't get the credit that yeah. they deserve because yeah. they're brothers. You know, yeah. if, if one was, you know, uh, Sergio Assad and Odair, you know, Pernambuco or something, right. then, um, you know, it's like, man, those guys are just amazing how much work right. they put in. You know? Yeah. So, I think the advantage of them to being, to being brothers is they had plenty of time to rehearse together, you know, and, and well, like, right. <laughs> it's, yeah. but they, they, they did do the, they yeah. did the time. And, 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 if, and if your husband and wife, um, you know, it sure saves on the commute. Yeah. You know, you, know, you can get, get to the rehearsal, you know, you know, pretty, pretty easily. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, those are, those are kind of, uh, um, yeah. There's a, it, sometimes people don't get the credit that they deserve, sure. you know, for yeah, that. Really but but yeah, um, you know, you 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 learn how the other person plays. You start to kind of learn how they think. Mm-hmm. Um, you develop a language, you know, yeah. both you know written and you know how you go about stuff. So you have kind of a, a process yeah. uh, that, and and I think every every ensemble, you know, yeah. does that. They, they have, they sort of know this is where we are in the process, you know, and they, and that, that helps. So they're yeah. not, and I think one of the things when you first start working with somebody is, okay, you know, do I have to, you know, have this all learned now? Where, you know, how, how much, just, and, and I think that's one of the reasons we worked well together is we both had similar approaches to making music right. and similar right. ways of, of working. I think the similar approach to music, you know, sort of the aesthetic part. Um, I think that that for an ensemble to be really successful, I think that has to be there. I remember yeah. talking to a, a guy who was in a, a duo, and he said, "Yeah, he said, you know, like I just like to, you know, be really spontaneous and and you know do all these kinds of things and and really be free with the music." And my duo partner really likes to be very very you know specific i don't, and I don't think this duo is going to work so yeah. well <laughs> you know, and, and I, I said you know i i said look i i that sounds to me like a recipe for disaster i said maybe yeah. you know maybe you guys have a way where you meet in the middle but what's going to happen it and and i you know wanted to say like uh, I'm, I'm not i'm not telling you to get a divorce here but, <laughs> but it sounds to me like what's going to happen is either of you or both of you are always going to be frustrated right. and I, that's that's not a long-term that's not, that's model for making music you know you yeah. gotta 
um, you know, you got to love what you do. Yeah. Because if you if you don't, you're gonna be gonna be miserable. Yeah. Doing that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> those are, those are those are those are words that were spoken to me by Leo Brower. Really? Yeah. 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 You want my Leo Brower story? Yes. I think. I think that's perfect. Okay. <laughs> we, we can wrap up with the Leo Brower story. Yeah. That's great. So, so this is this is you know, on the, on the, the heels of the Segovia story that, that I told before. So that spring, um, uh, Leo Brower was, uh, Michael Lormer and, and other people had arranged for Leo Brower to come to Berkeley, California for a week. Okay. It's going to give us week long masterclass, you know, so for five nights we'd have a masterclass and then he was going to give a concert and then that, you know, the, on the sixth night and, and, and whatnot. And so, I was one of the performers that was chosen and there were going you know, to be 12 of us. So like three or four of us a night kind of thing. And, you know, once we'd gone through the rotation, then it was your turn again. And uh, the emphasis was to play as much contemporary music because that was, you know, sure. was known for, you know, it was, a, it was a real specialty, you know, as opposed to, you know, somebody playing Sora Grand Solo. I mean, he would have given a great lesson, but, you know, that wasn't really <laughs> the point. So, so Michael comes out on stage and lives in a church and it's packed and Michael comes comes out and says, you know, he says a few words and he says, so, um, let's see, uh, you know, he, oh, he introduces Brower and Brower comes out on stage and he doesn't say a word, you know, he, he, he bows very solemnly, he sits down and Michael says, so who's going to play first? He kind of looks down and he says, <laughs> points at me and he says, Ron, nice. you know, so, you know, and, and, and I'm thinking like, you know, first the Segovia thing and now this, like, really? <laughs> Come on, man. I thought you liked me. So <laughs> I, I, I go up on stage. I'm playing the, the Henza, the, the, the dry tentos. Uh-huh. And so I play them and, and Rauer looks at me. He hasn't said a word yet, but he just looks at me. And and he he says, "Do you like this music?" Oh my god! <laughs> right, right. And I have this, you know, I just have this like, oh, are you? <laughs> so I just said, I just said, yes. And he slaps me on the back and he says, "Good, good." And he turns to the audience. I mean, you know, like this is the first thing he said. Oh and he says, God. you know, you know, we, we, we must never play music under contract. You know, we always have to play music that we love. We have to play music that's in our heart. And it's like, and you know, like about 10 seconds later, my heart started beating again. <laughs> you know, like, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't think they had to use the paddles on me to sort of felt okay. And then, then, you know, had a great lesson. I played some other music for him later in the week. But, um, but you know that th those were. I mean, hearing yeah. that come from someone like that, that that sure. you know, that's a. I mean, there are always times when we have to play music that we don't like. You know, whether it's a whether it's a gig. You know, or sometimes I, I, it, you know, I think back to those times, and most of them, I probably didn't have to play it. You know, I like I, I felt some sort of pressure, or it's like, oh, you know, professionally, I need to do this, and right, and it probably wasn't true. You know, right. it, it's 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 this weird thing that I've I've always had of trying. Like, I, it took me a long time to to get to the point where I would say no to anything because I thought in some way, 
you know, I, I, I have this amazing opportunity to, to make my living doing this. Yeah. And somehow it's disrespecting the profession to, to say no to, to that, right. you know? And, and I look, I look back at those moments and I was like, yeah, I really, I didn't enjoy that. And I probably didn't have to do it, but right. I, I, you know, I felt like obligated somehow or that kind of right. thing. And, and it's, you know, but I'm, I'm yeah. older and wiser now, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, what I tell people is, you know, you have to play what you love. I mean, the only, the only yeah. exceptions to that are like, you know, if you're studying with somebody and this is, you know, you really need to work on this etude, you know, and right. the developmental thing. Um, now I remember there was one, there was one concert Julian and I did where, it became clear if we didn't play a piece by this the guy who was setting up the concert, we weren't going to get the gig. <laughs> but we did it, and I just remember feeling just like while we were playing it, I really don't like this. <laughs> and so you know, so we didn't you know we didn't do that. Um, yeah. You know, it's different. You know, I mean, if you're an orchestral musician, you know that's sure. that's your that's your you know that's, that's your lot, and yeah. it's it's a little bit like the you know. Brahms said, you know, somebody, somebody, Brahms said, you should practice scales. And the, the student said, but scales are boring. And then Brahms said, well, you should practice them until they're not boring. Nice. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so you have to have the yeah. attitude of like, okay, you know, we're playing Strauss waltzes this week. That's not my favorite place, but you know, I got to find a way to make this yeah. enjoyable. You know, I got sure. to find a way to make this work for me. Um, there's an expression that says, you know, if, if you can't get, if you can't get out of it, get into it. And yeah. you know, kind of, you know, you you've got to you got to find you got to find your sweet spot. Yeah, so that's an important thing. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's I I think that's I think that's a wonderful place to leave it. You got to find the sweet spot. I love it. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else that we we should talk about, Ron? Is it? Do you have anything else that you want um, you want to mention or? No, I don't think so. Up? I mean, you know, if anybody if if, if anybody um, is interested, they can. Uh, Visit my website, which is my name with the middle initial M. I mean, just just Google it. I'm I'm, re I'm really easy to find. Um, but you know, you know, scores. Um, all the audio is up there. I um, mean, you know, anything you want to know about any of the compositions, you know, it, it, it's there. Um, I've got a premiere coming up in Santiago, Chile, sometime this summer. Oh, fantastic! Uh, Are you going? Yeah, uh, I, I I don't have any plans to right now. I mean, okay. <laughs> at this moment. Plans. Who knows? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, now the uh, there's a, a group uh, called the Chilean Guitar Ensemble, and their director Javier Farias, who I mentioned before, is a fabulous composer, yeah. um, directs them. And he asked me for a piece about three or four years ago, and so I, I wrote this wrote this piece, sent it to him, and then then a couple of years ago he said, "Well, David Tannenbaum is going to come down to Chile and he's going to conduct the concert and he'll conduct the premiere." Well, that was right. the, the first the first summer oh. of COVID. Then last summer, maybe it's gonna happen. Maybe it's gonna happen because it happened. No, it's not gonna. So maybe it's gonna happen this year. You know, we'll see. The the irony is that uh, it's gonna take place in July. That's tentatively when when, right. when these things were gonna happen. Um, but in South America, that's, that's yeah, exactly. Right. And and the title of the piece is is slowly winter approaches. And as I wrote to <laughs> as, 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 as I wrote to Javier, I said. I should I should probably rename it. You know, slowly the premiere approaches because that's right. kind of how it's going. <laughs> Much more slowly than you think. Yeah. Yes. So, so, yeah that, you know, if 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 indeed that that is scheduled, I'll, you know, I'll I'll post something on you know my website and also you know like on Facebook or something. Uh, 
Robert Trent, as I mentioned, has the recording uh, of you know my piece uh, and another short work that I, I wrote for him, uh, along with Ian Krause's you know fabulous music. So that uh, you know, I mean, by for the Ian Krause alone, I mean, he's just Ian is such a <laughs> such a great composer. Uh, so those things are coming up, and you know, as as the performers are you know sort of there, you know, as as we're all kind of like you know, having our heads, you know, slightly peeking out of the foxhole, yeah. Exactly. Gophers kind of, you know, prairie dogs, you know, is it safe? You know, there will be more things. But again, you know, I'm easy to find electronically, you know, to keep up on what's going on. Well, it's been it's been wonderful talking to you. I really Likewise. really appreciate you giving me the time and, yeah. and uh, hearing all the stories. It's I think I think I think people are really going to enjoy well, listening good. to this. So. Right. I I hope so. It's 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 been it's been lovely uh, speaking with you. Seeing you, it's been been great. This is Carl Woolwind of Columbus Classical Guitar. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Guitar on My Knee podcast. For more information and past episodes, please visit columbusclassicalguitar.com or Carl Woolwind Guitarist on Facebook.